God's rescues, protections and provisions then and now. This is part seven and we're looking today at Jehoshaphat. In this series, we've been giving some subheadings for it, which could be called the best of times and the worst of times. The expansions and contractions of a birth, the ups and downs of God's shaking, a wave of revival breaking over the preceding, receding wave of falling away and the instructions stay out of deception, distress and distraction during the shaking. During his judgments and dealings, God looked after his people. Even when God was judging, he was looking after his people. And when they were going through difficult times or there was tests and trials, God could look after his people. But think about this. Jesus said it would be like the days of Noah. And in Noah's day, the whole world came under the judgment of God, but God still rescued Noah and his family. Lot and his family were living in Sodom when God decided to judge it, but they were rescued, but they still had to obey God and run. Noah had to obey God and build an ark and then get in the ark and shut the door to be rescued. Obedience is always part of this. When a famine came, God told Isaac to stay in the land and to sow. So he had a different instruction, but it proved just as effective. So it's always up to obey the instruction God gives us. Joseph ended up in Egypt. It wasn't his choice to get there, but God got him there and he realized towards the end of his life that he was put there by God to rescue people alive so that despite the famine, which often came as a result of God's judgment or a move of God, Despite the famine, God looked after his people in the land of Egypt. He looked after Joseph. He looked after Pharaoh and the Egyptians at that time, which just goes to show that God can look after you no matter what happens. He looked after his people in Goshen when the 10 plagues of judgment came on the Egyptians. He looked after his people crossing the Red Sea. He looked after them in the wilderness, even though they were experiencing a kind of a judgment themselves being stuck there for 40 years because of their disobedience, but God still fed them and looked after them. And I want to encourage you that by looking at these stories in the Bible, we will see just how able God is to look after us, that will build our faith, we can encourage ourselves in the Lord, and we can focus on the fact that no matter what happens in the future, God can and will look after you, despite the threats of the enemy to cause supply chain problems, lockdowns, shutdowns, silences, blackouts. God will look after you if you keep your eyes fully on him, depend 100% on him. So, you know, as I always say, live in the secret place, stay living by faith, walk in the spirit, keep your eyes on Jesus, live in the word of God, meditate in it day and night, worship God in spirit and in truth, look after others, let your love run hot all the time. If you keep to the things that God says to do, refuse to be deceived, amen, don't let your heart be troubled, cast all your cares on the Lord, he can look after you. Amen. So the series theme is, by what God has done, God is growing your faith in him for what he will do for you. Amen. As I said, this is part seven, Jehoshaphat. And to start us off, I'm reading from 2 Chronicles chapter 20, verses 14 to 17, where we see the promise of God relating to this issue. Do not be afraid nor dismayed because of the great multitude for the battle is not yours, but God's. Tomorrow go down against them. 
You will not need to fight in this battle. Position yourselves, stand still and see the salvation of the Lord who is with you. Do not fear or be dismayed. Tomorrow go out against them, for the Lord is with you. Let's pray. Father, as we open your word today and look at what you did for Jehoshaphat and how you led and instructed him, I pray for each one of us today that we would see the parallel as it applies to us today and that we would be informed about what part is our responsibility and what part is something that you will do. Father, I ask for this in Jesus' name. Amen. And I ask you to give us your spirit of wisdom and revelation today. So remembering in all of this that God's plan is total triumph. God is doing a lot of shaking to dismantle the world system so that his new age, because remember he calls it an age, he said this is the end of the age, which implies the beginning of another age. He says it's the beginning of sorrows or birth pains, implying something's coming to birth. So I read between the lines that it's the end of the world system age and it's the birth of the age of God ruling on earth or Jesus' millennial kingdom. A counterfeit called the new world system or their version of the new age, but theirs is the counterfeit. Jesus' one is the right one. It's the true one. Amen. So let's also bear in mind a couple more scriptures where Jesus said in John chapter 15, verse 19, If you were of the world, the world would love its own. Yet because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Now, that doesn't sound very encouraging. Let's just get over it because it's just the way it is. Remember the Holy Spirit said in 1 John 5, 19, that the whole world is under the control of, of the devil, the evil one, Satan. The whole world system is under his control. And Jesus quite plainly here is saying that he's taken us out of that system. Colossians chapter 1 verses 12 and 13 speaks of him removing us from the kingdom of darkness and translating us or putting us into the kingdom of God's beloved son. Amen. I'm going to read John 15 verses 18 and 19 now from the Passion Translation, just to get it from a different translation. Just remember, when the unbelieving world hates you, they hated me first. That's Jesus saying that. If you were to give your allegiance to the world, they would love and welcome you as one of their own. But because you won't align yourself with the values of this world, they will hate you. I have chosen you and taken you out of the world to be mine. If we accept that that's who we are in Christ, then we'll understand why at times the reaction of people is the way it is and why they are plotting in the world to get rid of the Jews and to get rid of the church because they hate God. It's driven by the devil who hates God. Amen. Now let's look at John chapter 17, verses 14 to 15, where Jesus was praying to his Father. I have given them, that is his disciples, your word, and the world has hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not pray that you should take them out of the world, but you should keep them from the evil one. So in one sense, Jesus removed us from the kingdom of this world and put us in his kingdom. There's another sense in which God, even though we're not 
of the world. We're in the world in that we're still living here. But can you see the prayer of Jesus was not to take us out of this wicked environment, but to keep us safe while in it. That prayer is always answered yes, and it's what God does for you and me today. He keeps us safe. Amen. So today's theme is how do we follow God's pattern for overcoming overwhelming oppressors? Number one today is wake up to what the enemy did back then as a way of understanding what he will do today. Amen. Let's read it now. Second Chronicles chapter 20 verses 1 to 2. And it happened after this. Now, after this is implying it happened after everything Jehoshaphat had already done. Now, he'd already sent around teachers bringing people to God throughout his kingdom, which was the tribe of Judah. He had already started to pull down the high places, and that was all good. It was a revival and reforms. Very, very important. But then he went to visit Ahab, the king of the enemies of God, in the sense that the northern kingdom wouldn't worship God in the prescribed way. Ahab was wicked, married, of course, to Jezebel, and Jehoshaphat went to help him in a battle. In that battle, Ahab was shot by an arrow. Jehoshaphat was nearly killed, and on his way back, a prophet stopped him and said, you've been a very naughty boy. You should not have done this. And so it's the best of times and the worst of times. You've got Jehoshaphat, the best of times, bringing revival, sorting out his nation, pulling down the high places, teaching the word of God. The worst of times, he's gone out and got involved with the wrong people and has done something very foolish and opened the door for the enemy. And so you see here, there's an attack of a Confederate army of different nations getting together to deal with God's people because they hate them and could possibly be partly because they joined with Ahab to fight against some of them. So this is what it says. And it happened after this that the people of Moab with the people of Ammon, interesting, the Moabites and the Ammonites were both descendants of Lot, who the Bible says was a righteous man, Abraham's nephew. So even though they were related to the people of Judah, they still wanted to fight against them. And others with them, beside the Ammonites, came to battle against Jehoshaphat. Then someone came and told Jehoshaphat, saying, A great multitude is coming against you from beyond the sea, from Syria, and they are in Hazazon Tamar, which is in Gedi. So, what can you say? You can see here what the enemy did. Judah was one of the twelve tribes. Ten tribes broke away, and I think there was Judah and Benjamin and maybe a few other people that were in the southern kingdom. And the northern tribes formed their own kingdom, broke away, leaving Judah greatly depleted in their resources. And after David, there was Solomon. Then there was Rehoboam, who was a bit of a deal. And Jeroboam started the northern kingdom. A couple of other kings. Then you get to Jehoshaphat. He's a good kingdom but it's no match in normal numbers for these kingdoms that are coming against him. So you can see the devil comes with overwhelming odds. He's got the people. He's got the finances. He's got the firepower. He's got more ability 
to steal what you've got than you have to defend yourself. That's how the devil comes. Because if you look at it in the natural, you're in a lot of trouble. So there's intimidation, threats, and menace. Menace is another word for terrorism. He intimidated them with more people, more money, more power, totally overwhelming odds. He was threatening to cause destruction, death, devastation, theft, enslavement or loss of freedom, pain, physical pain, emotional pain, national pain, religious pain. And as the impression or the implication of these armies is comply or die. Do it our way or you're in trouble. And so they're stealing their freedoms. They menace them with their imposing presence, insurmountable size and power, overwhelming wealth. We find by the end of this story that they bought their wealth with them. It's almost like the street gangs coming with all of their golden chains and their bling to show that they're more effective and more powerful. And today, the enemies of God's people threaten us with digital surveillance. They reckon they can stop your money at any time and they stopped my money this week. The bank just turned off my money. Now, they might have felt they had a reason to do that, but it still happened and that they can threaten us with that kind of thing any time they like. And if you get an electric car, any computer control car is in the future. If they want to, they can just switch it off and you can't drive it. Wherever you are, it'll just stop. Amen. So they want to lock you out of the economy. And I know that happened here in Victoria, in Australia, when things got really bad in the lockdown, the Premier said, if you won't comply with my health directives and what I'm saying, I'll lock you out of the economy. And he did. People lost their jobs. People couldn't buy things. They couldn't go out to restaurants because of that. It was a loss of freedom. And I've got to say it here right now. The Bible says it is for freedom that Christ has made us free. So who made us free? The government? No, Christ made us free. Jesus said, whom the sun sets free is free indeed. Our freedom is God-given. And really, the government, who are supposed to be God's ministers for good, can't go against God and steal your freedom. Unless, of course, you're a criminal. Then, of course, they have to steal your freedom to protect everybody else. Amen. But if you're a good, God-fearing person who's not doing anything wrong, nobody should or can steal your freedom, but you may have to do spiritual warfare and a lot of prayer to stand up for your freedom and believe that the battle is the Lord's and see them overwhelmed by God in Jesus' name. Amen. So we need to wake up to the enemy's modus operandi, his MO. Be aware what he's like. He's a thief. He's a killer. He's a destroyer, he intimidates, he threatens, and he will steal if he's given the opportunity and he will kill. Amen. So wake up to what the enemy did because it's what he does. Number two today, how do we follow God's pattern for overcoming these overwhelming oppressors? Number two, imitate what the leader and God's people did. We're reading now from 2 Chronicles chapter 20. I'm starting in verse 3 again. And Jehoshaphat feared. Now, I'm not saying that you should imitate his fear, but it was a natural response to such an overwhelming enemy seeking to kill him and to take his country. Very, very scary moment. But he used it to call on God wholeheartedly. So he prayed. A, he called a solemn assembly in 2 Chronicles chapter 20, verse 3 to 4. 
he set himself to seek the Lord and proclaimed a fast throughout all Judah. Now, hang on, shouldn't they be pumping iron right there? Shouldn't they be eating protein shakes and doing what they can to build themselves up ready for this fight? Not according to this. He couldn't fight them even if he did everything right. He still couldn't win naturally, but his eyes were on God and he proclaimed a fast. So Judah gathered together to ask help from the Lord. From all the cities of Judah, they came to seek the Lord. So this was a fast. It's a solemn assembly. There may have been other times when people came together to celebrate, to do feasts, or come together for a wedding or, or a coronation. But this time, they're coming together for a solemn assembly, like it says in the book of Joel. Gather together, weep, mourn, fast, seek God. Amen. He led them in prayer, B. Then Jehoshaphat stood in the assembly of Judah and Jerusalem in the house of the Lord. Note, you've got to note the place. They came to the house of the Lord in their covenant. That was very, very significant. Of course, in the New Testament, we all have access directly to God. So no matter where you are, you can go to God, but we still should not forsake the assembling of ourselves together because that's also written in the New Testament. So they're in the house of the Lord before the new court and said, O Lord God. So Jehoshaphat said, and then he addressed God. So Jehoshaphat prayed. In that prayer, see, he magnified God and said, O Lord God of our fathers, are you not God in heaven and do you not rule over the kingdoms of the nations? And in your hand is there not power and might so that no one's able to withstand you? Are you not our God who drove out the inhabitants of this land before your people Israel? So Jehoshaphat praised God and he magnified God. Now, of course, you can't make God bigger than he is, but you can make your perception of who God is in a relative way compared with the enemies larger. And as you boast on God, as you praise God for his magnificence, his greatness, his power, and his great history of deliverance for his people, and focus on that, what the enemy threatens with shrinks in your perception until everything comes back into the right perspective. I know when David was in a lot of trouble, he had to encourage himself in the Lord. And there are times when we need to do that. There are times in your life when everybody deserts you like they did with David, even the people that were closest to him said they were going to kill him. That's literally what they said. They spoke of stoning David. He encouraged himself in the Lord and out of that courage and strength he got from God, he was able to lead others. And this is also one of the main purposes of praise. Keep praising God for who he is, what he's done for his greatness. Keep your mind on the magnificence of God. In other words, magnify the Lord. Amen. D, Jehoshaphat declared God's promises. Note the order. Fast, assemble, start praying by magnifying God, and then declare God's promises. You don't come to God and pray, Oh God, you see what I'm going through. If you don't come through for me, I'm doomed, God. Please have mercy on me. Now, that may be appropriate sometimes, but it generally won't work. What works for us in the new covenant is exactly what this man did. Magnify God, praise God, 
and start standing on the promises of God. Are you not our God who drove out the inhabitants of this land before your people Israel and gave it to the descendants of Abraham, your friend, forever? And they dwell in it and have built you a sanctuary for it in your name, saying, now this is the other promise, right? First promise, you gave us this land and these confederate armies are coming to kick us out and to kill us. You gave us the land, Father. It's our land. That's God's promise to Abraham's descendants through Isaac. The second promise he quotes is this one in verse 9. You said, God, when Solomon dedicated the temple, if disaster comes upon us, sword, judgment, pestilence or famine, we will stand before this temple in your presence, for your name is in this temple, and cry out to you in our affliction, and you will hear and save us. God promised them, if they did exactly what they've just done, come before the temple, cry out to God, fast, humble themselves, intercede and ask for his help, that he will hear and save. Amen. Like the Bible says, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray that I will hear from heaven, I'll forgive their sins and save their land. Amen. So Jehoshaphat called on God's promise in his prayer and he reminded God, now this only applies if it applies. In other words, if you've done it this way, you can use this in your prayer. He reminded God that obedience to him is what led to this situation. 2 Chronicles 20, verses 10 and 11. And now, here are the people of Ammon, Moab and Mount Seir, whom you would not let Israel invade when they came out of the land of Egypt, but they turned from them and did not destroy them. Here they are, rewarding us by coming to throw us out of your possession, which you have given us to inherit. He's saying those enemy only exist because we obeyed you. We killed a lot of other people out here when we came into the promised land, but you said, don't touch them. Let them live. When we were strong in number, when we were winning battles, we were outnumbering them. You said, don't touch them. And now there's a lot more of them than us. And now they're rewarding our saving them alive by coming out to fight against us. God, we're in this mess because we obeyed you. Hint, hint. In other words, he's able to throw the care of this over onto God because they're living in obedience. And remember, Jesus is saying that if we walk in his way, if we live in him, if we're in Christ Jesus, the world will hate us, not because of anything we've done necessarily, but because they hate him. Amen. Then in the prayer, he asks God to deal with this here and now. He doesn't pray, God, deal with this on judgment day. If they kill us now, we'll sort it out later. He doesn't pray that. He prays, God, will you not judge them? For we have no power against this great multitude that has come against us, nor do we know what to do, but our eyes are on you. Now all Judah, with their little ones, their wives and their children, stood before the Lord. This is a great assembly of all of God's people coming before him and saying, God, we've got nowhere else to go, no one else to look to. We're here because we obeyed you. We're trying to live in what you promised us. So now 
we're giving you the responsibility of this problem, which they were well and truly able to do. Amen. It's part of casting all the cares on the Lord. Amen. You know, when I began to follow Jesus fully, I started to get death threats. And once a man came out the front of my house wanting to kill me, and I had to go out there and face him. But when I did, the prayer came to me and the words, I rebuke you in the name of Jesus, because the New Testament explains that it's not against flesh and blood that we wrestle. And I was able to rebuke the demon that was trying to control this man and turn him into a murderer against me. And in the name of Jesus, we ended up casting the demon out of him, saved our life and brought him closer to God. Praise the Lord. But if I had done things against this guy personally, when God was telling me not to, it would be a lot harder to call on God's help in that situation. Amen. So what do we do about following God's pattern for overcoming oppressors? Number one, wake up to what the enemy did. And then number two, imitate what God's people did. They called a solemn assembly. They prayed, magnified the Lord, declared God's promises, reminded God that obedience had led them into this. Remember, you can only do that if it did. And then ask God to judge the enemies here and now. Number three today is learn from what God did. You could say in response to what his people did. So God set up a covenant. The people got into trouble. They then did their part. Prayer, magnifying God, calling on God, fasting, solemn assembly. And then as a response to this, we're looking at what God did next. Amen. He spoke prophetically and gave instructions. Second Chronicles chapter 20, verses 14 to 17. So after they've prayed this prayer and they're all there waiting on God, then the Spirit of the Lord came upon Jehaziel. So it's interesting to me that God's response was first prophetic. And we live in an era right now where the prophetic ministry is in ascendancy. This is what God does. Our country's in a mess, God. We're in a mess. The enemies overrun our governments. The enemies overrun our education system. The enemies got in so many places. Help us. Help us, God. First thing he does, he starts to speak prophetically. Then the Spirit of the Lord came upon Jehaziel, the son of Zechariah, the son of Benaniah, the son of Giel, the son of Mattaniah, a Levite of the sons of Asaph in the midst of the assembly. You could say he's a holy man. Amen. He comes from a line of very holy, committed people. And he said, this is what the prophetic word is. Listen, all you of Judah and you inhabitants of Jerusalem and you King Jehoshaphat, thus says the Lord to you, do not be afraid. So fear not is a command. Amen. Do not be afraid nor dismayed because of this great multitude, for the battle is not yours but God's. Now, what he doesn't say is, so don't worry about it anymore. Just everybody go home, eat and drink. This will all just go away. He doesn't say that. He gives them instructions. Tomorrow, go down against them. In other words, you've actually got to go out now and stare down the enemy. You've got to go out and face them. You can't just stay at home, hide under the blankets. You're going to have to go out and face them. They will surely come up by the ascent of Ziz, and you will find them at the end of the brook before the wilderness of Jeruel. You will not need to fight in this battle, 
Position yourself. It's almost an oxymoron. You won't be fighting in this battle, but position yourself as though you were going to fight in the battle. But then after you've positioned yourself, what's the next instruction? Stand still. So it's a very, very interesting. And this must have had some effect on the enemy watching little Judah come out and all line up to fight. Now look at that little line of soldiers up there and they look at what they've got and they think, oh, this is going to be a pushover. We're going to win this easily. Maybe that's what was going on. I don't know. So you will not need to fight in this battle. Position yourselves, stand still and see the salvation of the Lord who is with you, O Judah and Jerusalem. Do not fear or be dismayed. Tomorrow go out against them, for the Lord is with you. So he repeats this. Do not fear, don't be dismayed, go out against them. Said it twice. And he says, tomorrow. Don't just get your soldiers down and start sharpening the swords. Don't start practicing and doing all kinds of training. Just get out there. Get out there. And it's like when that guy came around to kill me. I said, God, will I call the police? He said, no, you deal with it get out there. And I had to open the door and go out and face down a guy that was out the front of my house wanting to kill me. It wasn't easy to go out that door, I can tell you now. <laughs> and that must have been how they felt. Probably they felt worse. So remember this, no matter what the enemy seeks to do through intimidating force and overwhelming odds and all of their threats, and they're threatened fines and they're threatened things they threaten to do. The battle is not yours. The battle is God's. Tomorrow, go out against them. You'll not need to fight nor be dismayed. Position yourself, stand still. And we have to position ourselves, all right, in spiritual warfare and prayer. The Lord is with you. You're going to have to stare down the demons. Amen. Stare down the demons because they're the real enemy. In the New Testament, we thoroughly and 100% are taught that the battle is not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, powers, the rulers of the darkness of this age, wicked spirits in the heavenly realms. That's who we fight. And we fight them with weapons that are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. Amen. Give no place to the devil. In my name, they will cast out devils. We've been given the name in Jesus that's above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow. Things in heaven, things in earth, and things under the earth, and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. We have to enjoin this battle. We have to be part of it. Amen. We have to be part of this battle. Glory to God. B, God graced his people to respond supernaturally in faith. So they did all the prayer, the assembly. God responds to their prayer by giving them grace to do this. He responded to their prayer first by giving them a prophetic word, and then grace came on them. You'll see it happening here. And Jehoshaphat bowed his head with his face to the ground, and all Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem bowed before the Lord, worshipping the Lord. Now in the Old Testament, worship was signified with body language of bowing or prostrating oneself in humble, submissive surrender to the one you're worshipping. You'll see that in Jesus' life, many people ran to him, fell down before him and worshipped him. Sometimes the demons would cry, you are the Christ. Amen. 
And I believe in this passage, what this indicates is we've got the prophetic word now. We know we're going to have to go out and face down the enemy and we worship you, God. We humbly surrender because there's nobody else to turn to and we will do what you are saying. Verse 19, Then the Levites of the children of the Kohathites and the children of the Korahites stood up to praise the Lord God of Israel with voices loud and high. Amen. I believe that praise was partly supernatural. They'd done everything up till then. They completely humbled and submitted themselves. Then the grace comes on them to praise. Now the praise is important because Psalm 22 verse 3 says, God inhabits the praise of his people. And the praise that they needed to do at this time was extremely important. It was a key to what God wanted done. And I believe a grace came on them to do this. Amen. Now we're reading 2 Chronicles verses 20 to 21. So they rose early in the morning and went out to the wilderness of Tekoa. And as they went out, Jehoshaphat stood and said, Hear me, O Judah, and you inhabitants of Jerusalem. Two things. Believe in the Lord your God and you'll be established here in the promised land. Amen. Second thing, believe his prophets and you shall prosper. Now, in the Old Testament, the idea of prospering was not just having a lot of physical wealth or even cash. It was to do with doing well. If you sow crops, they'll produce fruit. If you grow a fruit tree, it'll produce fruit. If you fight the enemies, you'll win. All of those things were prospering. If you have children, they'll grow up well. Your marriage will go well. Sickness will be driven away from you. All of that is part of prospering. And in the New Testament, he says, I pray you may prosper and be in health even as your soul prospers. Amen. So this is what Jehoshaphat says. Believe his prophets. In other words, do what the prophet says and believe the promises of God. You won't need to fight in this battle. We believe you. Go out against them. Why? We believe you. We'll do it. Amen. Verse 21. And when he had consulted with the people, he appointed those who should sing to the Lord and who should praise the beauty of holiness as they went out before the army and were saying, Praise the Lord, for his mercy endures forever. They had to praise God. And believe me, this is crucially important for you and me as well. Praise is important. It's not just praising in your heart. Remember, it says those that believe in their heart and confess with their mouth. And we could say the same about praise. We can praise God in our heart, making melody in our heart to the Lord, but we also need to express praise verbally, either sung praise or said praise. Just keep praising the Lord. Amen. C, God took direct action against the enemy and his people. We're talking about God's response to the people's prayer. Second Chronicles chapter 20, verses 22 to 24. Now, when they began to sing and to praise, the Lord set ambushes against the people of Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir, who had come against Judah, and they were defeated. Why? For the people of Ammon and Moab stood up against the inhabitants of Mount Seir to utterly kill and destroy them. And when they had made an end of the inhabitants of Seir, they helped to destroy one another. So when Judah came to a place overlooking the wilderness, they looked toward the multitude, and there were the dead bodies fallen to the earth, 
no one had escaped. Now, I'm not trying to be bloodthirsty or macabre in this. What I'm saying is the enemies were permanently removed. And that's a picture of the end of this age where the devil controls the world system in the shaking that's going on. It breaks apart and falls away because it cannot withstand the shaking. Only that which is built on God's word can last in the shaking. Amen. Jesus said to build your foundation on obedience to his word. And then the floods come, the winds come, the rains come, and it doesn't fall. Book of Hebrews talks about shaking, 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 and God being a consuming fire. The only thing that won't shake or burn up is based on God's word. That's what remains here. Once all of this is passed, that's what remains on into the future. Amen. So our praise at this time, believing God and obeying God, leads to this sort of confusion and self-destruction among the enemy until eventually their cohesion falls apart, their alliance fails, and they fight one another and kill one another, destroy one another until there are no enemies left to deal with, just like when the children of Israel came out of Egypt after the 10 plagues. Eventually, their whole Egyptian military was annihilated by God in the Red Sea, so they never had to face that enemy again. And the people of Judah never had to face these enemies ever again because they were so destroyed. Amen. And an interesting thing took place then. This is D. God transferred the wealth to his family. Let's read it, verses 25. When Jehoshaphat and his people come to take away the spoil, they found among them, that's the dead people, an abundance of valuables on the dead bodies and precious jewellery, which they stripped off for themselves more than they could carry away. And they were three days gathering the spoil because there was so much. Amen. What an amazing thing. You know, the Bible says in Proverbs 13, 22, good people leave an inheritance for their grandchildren, but the sinner's wealth passes to the godly. Another translation talks about the wealth of the wicked is laid up for the just. And here's an example of this. The enemy threatened to take all the wealth from God's people, wealth referring to their land, their valuables, their produce, their wives, their children. The enemy was threatening to take it all. But what happened? God turned around and instead of the wealth transferring to the enemies, God annihilated them and their wealth transferred to God's people whom they were threatening to rob. Amen. Isn't that great? What have we learned today about following God's pattern for overcoming these overwhelming oppressors? Wake up to what the enemy did, you know, threats and intimidation, because it's what he will do. Imitate what God's people did, because if we imitate those who through faith and patience inherit the promises, we'll get them too. And three, learn from what God did in response to what his people did. He spoke prophetically. He gave instructions. He graced his people to respond supernaturally in faith with praise and obedience. God took direct action against the enemy and his people, and he transferred all the wealth to them. Amazing stuff. And number four today is remember to thank God and fill his house with joy and rejoicing and people. Amen. So we're reading now verses 26 to 30. And on the fourth day, 
they assembled in the valley of Baraka, for there they blessed the Lord. Therefore the name of that place is called the valley of Baraka to this day. Then they returned every man of Judah and Jerusalem with Jehoshaphat in front of them to go back to Jerusalem with joy. Amen. So they went out where the battle was. They went out there and they praised God and they praised him. Then they followed their leader back into Jerusalem and they followed him not only back to Jerusalem with joy. They came to Jerusalem with stringed instruments, harps and trumpets to the house of the Lord. And the fear of God was in all the kingdoms of those countries when they heard that the Lord had fought against the enemies of Israel. Then the realm of Jehoshaphat was quiet, for its God gave him rest all around. Amen. They filled the house of God with praise, with rejoicing. They remembered to thank God for what he had done. And in the midst of all of that praise, just like in David's day, when he instituted the tabernacle of David and that praise going around the clock, the power of God subdued all of the surrounding nations and Jehoshaphat and his people lived under the glory, the anointing of God, the fear of God was on all of those people and they lived in peace. That's God's plan for you. Amen. That's God's plan for all of us. So how do we follow God's pattern for overcoming, overawing oppressors? Wake up to what the enemy did. Imitate what God's people did. Learn from what God did in response. And finally, remember to thank God and fill his house with rejoicing. One caveat, remember in the middle of all this, obedience to Jesus is essential. Hebrews 5.9, and having been perfected, he became the author of eternal salvation to all who obey him. Jesus is Lord. It means boss, controller, the one who gives out the orders. When Paul got saved, he said, who are you, Lord? He said, I'm Jesus. And then he said, what do you want me to do? He knew that Lord and receiving instructions goes together. Worship means surrender. It means submission. It means falling before God in your spirit man and saying, God, you're the Lord. I'm the servant. You tell me what to do. You're the king. I'm the subject. You're God. I'm the man. You're the father. I'm the son, or you might say daughter. I'm in submission. I do what you say. Remember the New Testament says, children, obey your parents in the Lord. We have to obey God. There's no way around it. If Lot hadn't have obeyed running, he wouldn't have been saved. If his wife hadn't have disobeyed by looking back, she wouldn't have turned into a pillar of salt. If Noah hadn't obeyed by building the ark, he wouldn't have been rescued in the judgments of God. Amen. Isaac had to obey to stay where he was to sow so he could reap a hundredfold. We have to obey God in what he's saying to you. Sometimes he says to flee. Sometimes he says to stay. But if you stay when he says to go, you could get into a lot of trouble. If you go when he says to stay, you can also get into a lot of trouble. It's about walking in personal relationship with him. Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice. I know them and they follow me. Today, you need to be one of Jesus' sheep. You need to take him as your Lord and use your mouth to confess him as Lord and also to believe that God raised him from the dead. For the Bible says, 
If you believe in your heart that God raised Jesus from the dead, and if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus, you will be saved. For with the mouth confessions made to salvation, with the heart one believes unto righteousness. I'm encouraging you today, if you haven't made Jesus as Lord, then follow me in this prayer of making Jesus Lord today. Just say this after me. Say this, Jesus, you say it. Thank you for dying on the cross for me. I turn from my old life. I receive you as my saviour. I believe you rose from the dead. Lord, what do you want me to do? I receive your new birth. I confess you are my Lord. I believe my name's in the Lamb's Book of Life. And by your grace, I will follow you and obey you from this day forward. In Jesus' name. Amen. Well, God bless you. Thanks for listening today.